If you turn with me now to the scripture reading, which is John chapter 10, I'll be reading from verses 1 to 15. It is a timely uh, message and something that I hope that will soothe our, our souls uh, and, and give us confidence and restore peace and clarity for us. John chapter 10. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and his sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And this is God's word. We're in a season right now, what Christians call Lent. And uh, Lent is the 40 days leading up to Easter. And Lent is about awakening. Lent is about new life. It's very important, especially right now in the midst of panic, in the midst of fear and confusion in our regions today, it's important to talk about awakening. It's important to talk about new life. Now, the Gospel of John, John's Gospel, has an interesting cadence because before and after each of John's teachings, uh, each, each of Jesus' teachings on who he is, his claims on who he is, Jesus demonstrates that teaching visibly, tangibly, palpably, uh, in, a, in a kinesthetic way in a sense. He teaches them through an act. He teaches them through a miracle. So in John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And what happens? In John chapter 9, he heals a man who's been born blind. And so it's worth looking at the claims of Jesus, not just because of his words. Jesus is saying, I'm not just some vague person. I'm not just some abstract ideal. I'm a real person. I'm tangible. I'm personal. I can heal you. I can restore you. I can save you. And John chapter 10 is, is, is an intimate passage. Jesus says, I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. John chapter 11, you know, he says in John chapter 10, I call my sheep by name. And then in John chapter 11, he calls Lazarus out from the dead by name. And so he, it's a very intimate claim. Jesus makes seven claims in the gospel according to John. 
And all those other claims are inanimate. I am the door, he says. I am the light. I am the bread. But here, he gives us a personal take and a powerful description of who he is by saying that he is the gate and the shepherd. He's saying three things. He leads us. He knows us. He loves us. Very simple. He leads us. He knows us. And he loves us. First, Jesus is claiming that he leads us. Verses 1 to 3, the watchman opens the gate. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own by name, and then he leads them out. You know, in the Western world, we have shepherds. And these shepherds, they drive their sheep. They usually use horses and sheepdogs. That's what they did. But not in the Eastern world. In the Eastern world, the shepherd himself led them out. What does that mean? It means that if you're a Christian, Jesus is right there with you. His rod and his staff. They comfort you. That's what he's saying. Jesus doesn't give you a manual. He doesn't give you a set of rules. He doesn't give you some sort of map that you have to follow. He gives you himself, his person. Christianity is about a relationship. It's not about rules. It's not about a hierarchy. Yes, there are rules. Yes, there is a book. But there are rules in every relationship, if you think about it. Every healthy relationship has some kind of structure, has some sets of obligations in some ways. When you get married, you sign a contract, a covenant. You literally sign away and get a license. There are things that you do and there are things that you can't do based on your nature. But those rules don't define that relationship. The rules act mostly as a way of, of guiding and leading. If that's the case with any other relationship in your life, it's all the more in your relationship with Jesus. Now, we tend not to trust in our relationship with Jesus. It's why we're so neurotic about our lives, about our decisions. It's why we're so meticulous, uh, type A, about the things that we care about most. We talk to everybody. We look online. We get advice from every other source when we should be going to Jesus first. We should be going to Jesus not for more answers, but for more of himself. Are you afraid? We should be going to Jesus for more of himself. Not just answers are not going to make you less afraid. You need a person, somebody who can protect, somebody who can save. Because Jesus is right there with you, and he's taking every sorrow, and he's taking every fear, and he's taking every concern and every suffering, and he's interweaving it into a greater joy and greater honor and greater glory and for our good. That he does that with every weakness in our lives. He does that with every flaw, every suffering, every bad decision that you think you made, every consequence of bad decisions that you think you've made. Yes, he gives us wisdom. Yes, he gives us power, but he does it through himself himself as a person he doesn't do it through rules he doesn't do it through knowledge he doesn't do it through he doesn't do it through just our theology textbooks he doesn't do it through tests and he does it all through uh, all part of this great plan to make us more like his sons because in romans 8 it says if we are led then we are sons what does that mean if you're broken if you're confused, if you're suffering, if you're foolish, God is making you more beautiful tomorrow than you could ever dream. In verses 14 to 15, we need to know that uh, Eastern shepherds, uh, we need to know a little bit about the way they are with their sheep. Shepherds, they watched all their sheep all the time. 
Uh, and so they, some of them are known to have slept with their sheep. They lead their sheep to pasture. They lead their sheep to rest. They lead them through the gate when they go out, and when they're out, the sheep follow him. They know his voice. They call out, uh, they call out uh, to their sheep. They recognize the voice of the shepherd. In other words, every sheep is dependent on his shepherd, and he's dependent on his shepherd for everything. You let any other animal loose out in the wild, a dog, a cat, they're domesticated. You let them out, they're happy. They're out there, and they are fine on their own. Horses will run wild and can sustain themselves on their own, but not sheep. Sheep, if you let them on their own, they will not be able to survive in the wild. They are stupid. They will follow each other. They are lost. They are incredibly, at the same time, difficult to round up. They're not, they're not these gentle little babies that you carry around. They're constantly resisting. They're constantly slow and defenseless on one hand, incapable on one hand, and yet at the same time resistant and struggling and rebellious. That's what sheep are known to be. Why am I telling you this? And you can't be offended. Please don't be offended. If Jesus Christ is saying that he is a shepherd, what is he implying about us? We are sheep. And Jesus is saying, I know you. I know you, you are spiritually helpless. You are spiritually insufficient. You are spiritually dependent. If you leave a toddler alone, even for five minutes, it could lead to grave consequences. They could be gravely hurt. But does that toddler ever seek your help? No. Toddlers are always saying, I can do this on my own. Get away from me. When they need help, do they appreciate your help? No. When When they go astray, do they listen when you call to them? No. You practically have to run over there and scoop them up, especially if they're running in towards the street because they will not stop. That's us. That's us. We're sheep. We're sheep. Martin Luther, the great theologian, once said that we are like caterpillars in a ring of fire. There's nothing that we can do on our own to get through. Something has to come from above and scoop us out and rescue us. That's us. Caterpillars in a ring of fire. That means even though we are completely dependent, we don't know that we're dependent. We don't behave as if we're dependent. We live independently. That's us. We are sheep. We tend to place our worth in having healthy relationships, healthy children. We tend to place our worth in in our parents, what our boss thinks, what our friends think of us, someone who we're on a date with. We love to pour our worth into that. We love to pour our worth into our spouse, into our children, into uh, the wealth that we have, our 401ks. And by the way, this week showed us how fragile all those things can be. And yet we are still resistant. We are constantly fighting. We're always overestimating our skills and our experience and our gifts. We're always overestimating our connections and our instincts, our natural born instincts, because we're like sheep at best. We are foolish. You know, 10 years from now, you're going to look back and you're going to say, I was so foolish. 10 years ago, you think back to who you are and you're going to say, I was so foolish. You know what that means? Right now, you're a fool. Because 10 years from now, you're going to look back and say you were foolish. You see that? Verses 1 to 3, Jesus says, man enters through the gate as a shepherd. The sheep hear his voice. He calls them by name, and he leads them out to pasture. Who do you follow? Whose voice do you hear? What voices are you trusting? Who do you follow? 
Psalm chapter 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in one. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, as opposed to stormy waters. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads me. The second point is Jesus knows us. When he says that he's a good shepherd, he's saying he knows us. Verses 1 to 6, the sheep hear his voice. He calls them by name. Verses 7 to 10, he says, I am the gate. What he's saying there is, I am the access. I am the only way in. If you try to get in any other way, that means you're a thief. You're a robber. You're trying to steal away from the one way in. You try, you're trying to make another way in. That's what he's saying. That means that he is, he is the only way to God. It's an incredible claim. He's saying that every other claim that they are the way in, that they are the way to God is an illegitimate claim. And anyone trying to go that route is like a thief or a robber or a stranger. He says, I am the only legitimate way. The very nature of a gate, the very nature of a door is what? It's intended to keep out anyone who doesn't have a relationship with the owner. That's the point of a gate. That's the point of a, a door, right? It's to keep out the wolves. It's to keep out the thieves, to keep out the foreigners and the strangers. Verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. Very intimate claim. Verse 14, I know my sheep. I have a relationship with my sheep. We are sheep. We said that. He says, Jesus knows his sheep. In John chapter 4, Jesus is by a well, and a Samaritan woman walks in, walks up to the well. This woman has been cast out of every circle, every social circle, every religious circle. She doesn't fit in any type of uh, a crowd, especially in those days, because she's an immoral woman. And that woman, given new life in her encounter with Jesus, runs back to the very people who have rejected her into the town, and she says, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. What is she saying? He knows me. He knows me, and he has received me. John chapter 8, Jesus looks at these religious people who are about to stone this woman who's been caught in the act of adultery. And he says, any one of you without sin, you can cast the first stone. What he's saying is this, I know all of you. I know you and all your ways. I know your motives. He's saying this to us. I know your insecurities. I know your desires. I know that you're starving for love and you're competing with other people for the love of other people. I see your sin and I see your heart and all the things you do and all the things that you haven't even done yet. In verse 3, it says, I call you by name. Sheep apparently know the voice of their shepherd. The shepherd watches them. Shepherd protects them. That's the rod and the staff. They comfort me. But it's very rare for a shepherd to actually name his sheep. So it's remarkable here when Jesus says, I call you by name. I know you so intimately. I know you by name. I call you by name. In Jesus, we have a name. It's very important because in ancient times, having a name meant that you had status. It defined your status. Having a name meant that you were significant. Having a name meant that you had social capital. But it's also important existentially because to have a name meant that your life has meaning. In Genesis chapter 11, you have the Tower of Babel. These people 
come together and they come together to work on a project to build this tower. Why'd they build a tower? They say, come, let's make a name for ourselves. In other words, if we do this, then we'll have meaning. Then we're going to be known. Then we'll be acceptable. Then we'll be approved. Now, a lot of us here say, well, I don't really care what other people think of me. I don't derive my worth from that. But that's not really the truth, is it? That's not really the truth. Because from the time that you're an infant, you respond to your parents. Before you could ever talk, the way you respond, you know how to get the love of your parents. And that migrates into knowing what to, how to get your teacher's approval. And then as you get into college, your professor's approval and your peers, into your work life, you know how to get the, work, the respect of your peers. And then that migrates into a larger body of people, your boss, your coworkers, your friends, your spouse, your children. You see that? And as, as your circles grow more intimately and larger and more complex, you're constantly working to manage how people view you. We're constantly looking for validation. And there's a cost to that. There's a cost to, to not seeking validation from people. There's a punishment involved. There are promotions at stake. It's all based on what other people think of us. At the heart, it's why we spend and invest so much time and money in our educations. Think about it. Because there's value there in increasing your esteem and validation. It's why we slave away at work. It's why we invest so much in our relationships with other people. It's, so, it's why we invest so much in finding certain types of people to invest in. It's why we invest so much in our children. And the reason is because we cannot. You absolutely, there's not a single person in the world who can affirm themselves. You cannot affirm yourself. We're built in a way, we're designed in a way where we need validation from other people. In other words, you cannot give yourself a name. You cannot name yourself. We all need somebody outside of us who says, you are beautiful. You need somebody outside who is able to validate you and say, yes, you are blessed. You are known. I want to know you. There's not a businessman in the world who says, I don't care what people think about my product as long as I like it, as long as I, I like the work that I'm doing. I can, I, I'm fine. I deserve a promotion. There's no author or musician. There's no artist in the world out there who says, I don't care what other people think. It don't, what, what matters is what I think. I think my work is fine. Jesus says, in me, you have a name. Now, notice throughout the Bible, you have Abram in Genesis. You have Jacob in the book of Genesis. You have Simon. You have, you have Saul. They're in the New Testament. They all receive new names. You have Abram who became Abraham, Jacob who became Israel, Simon who became Peter, Saul who became Paul. Why? Because in Jesus, you have a name, and that name gives you new life. That's the existential. You have new life. You have new meaning. You have new mission. You have new purpose in life. When Jesus says, I call you by name, he's calling us not just to himself, yes, to himself, but for purpose, with reason. Think about this. Who names you? Who names you? The person who aims you, when you name your pet, is because you own that pet. When you name your child, you're saying, I'm the steward over this child. Whoever claims to own you is who names you. Jesus says, I call you by name. And in verse 11, I lay my life down before you. Why? Because he owns us. He owns his sheep. In verses 12 to 13, he says, the hired hand doesn't own you. 
The hired hand's going to run. That's why he runs. But in verse 14, I know my sheep. He owns us. He says, they're my sheep. Jesus Christ is for you. He knows you. He has plans for you. You have meaning in him. In him you have meaning. He gives us meaning. That means that any other name apart from Jesus, any other name that you seek apart from Jesus leads to suffering and weariness and joylessness and labor, fighting, fighting for your name without a shepherd, fighting for security and acceptance and approval without the one who actually grants it. It's an endless work. You see that? And if you think about it, look at your careers. Look at, look at getting married. It's great to have a career. It's great to get married. But if your career is your ultimate shepherd, if your spouse is your ultimate shepherd, if they're the ways that you're going to get significance and status, find a sense of worth and meaning in your life, that's your name. You're going to have a destructive career. Your career is going to ruin you tire you out, fill you with not hope but anxiety and, and be the source of depression a lot of times. If your marriage is the way you're going to get significance and status and worth, your name, it's going to destroy. You're going to have this destructive marriage. If you look to your parents, your pastor, anybody to give you a status or significance, the status and significance that only Jesus can give, then you're like a thief. You're trying to steal your way in. You see that? You're trying to cheat your way in. You're trying to find another access point to finding a name without the relationship with the one, the only one who can give you the only name that you need. There are people who are like the hired hand. You know, a lot of times in your friendships, you have like this outer circle of friends that we kind of keep maybe out of convenience, but in a time of need, we tend to run. Why? Because there's something inside. It's a terrible thing. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I just know that it happens. Uh, but it's a terrible thing. But the reason why it happens is because you know deep inside that you are insufficient to carry the burden of glory and significance and approval that that person needs. You are insufficient to carry that burden. We're inadequate shepherds at best. Even to the people that we do value the most, we are inadequate shepherds. But when you come to Jesus Christ, he gives you a name. You have significance. You have worth. You have protection. You belong. You have a place. You have meaning. You have purpose. How do you know that? What's going to give us the assurance today that we have that? And that's the last point. Jesus says, as a shepherd, he loves us. He starts and he says, I lay my life down for my sheep. Now think about this. If anyone knows you to the core, you can take your spouse. Your spouse knows you well. But through life, they're still discovering new things about you. And you're constantly changing. So they're rediscovering certain dimensions of who you are. Disappointing, impressed, whichever way. But if anyone knew us to the core, even right now, they would turn on us immediately. They would abandon us immediately. They would reject us. But Jesus Christ says this, I know you to the core, and I lay my life down for you. I didn't lay my life down for you because you earned it. I didn't lay my life down to you because you're working hard for it. I lay my life down for you. He says, I know you. I lay my life down for you. Look at the love of Jesus. 
Look at the mercy of Jesus. Verses 11 to 13, why does a shepherd value the sheep? I mean, what do, what do robbers want sheep for? What do thieves and wolves want from sheep? It's because every part of the sheep is valuable. The wool is important, right? It comes from his hair, right? Leather comes from their skin. Meat you get for, as food, right, from their, from their muscles, their bodies. Shepherds, they have no wealth. They have no money. They're not known to be wealthy. The sheep are their currency. And as a result, because the sheep are their currency, they treasure their sheep. Shepherds choose to tie their own worth and their wealth and their value in with the sheep that they own. The hired hand, they don't do that. They're only in it for the money. What are you saying here? What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that when the wolf comes, people in in it for the money, they will run. Once they can't get anything from you, they will abandon you. But a shepherd, when the wolf comes, he says, I lay my life down for the sheep. I lay my life down. He's not saying... I lay my life down for you. I'm just, I'm just kind of giving you everything. I'm doing everything, everything I do for you, you know. In the Greek, he's saying, I lay my life down in place of you. That's what he's saying. As a substitute for you, I lay my life down for my sheep. In other words, I'm literally laying my life down in your place so that when the wolf comes, he doesn't devour you. He devours me. On one hand, Jesus Christ calls himself a shepherd because he wants to be personal with us. To be personal means that you're risking loss. Anybody, any parent would understand that the moment you decide to have a child, what you're saying is, I'm willing to sacrifice or, or uh, incur risk. I'm willing to incur loss. I'm willing to incur pain. If, if the person was not personal, there would be no risk. There would be no loss. It's easy to give up, Right? But when there is a personal relationship, you know that there, you are incurring risk and loss and pain. Why would the shepherd do that? David in Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me, he guides me in paths of righteousness. He leads me for his name's sake. Why? Jesus is saying, I'm doing this for my name. He cares for you because Jesus himself has chosen to tie his worth, his joy, his significance with his sheep. And so even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You see the progression? It starts off with Jesus Christ as your shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. That means that we're sheep. Over time in this psalm, in Psalm 23, it, it kind of progresses, and it leads us to a table. We start out as sheep, we end up at the table, and we're dining with the king. That's what it means. If you think about it, sheep don't end up at the table. Sheep end up at the table, but they're the meal, you see? Sheep don't end up at the table to dine with the king. All of a sudden, we become friends. We're in intimate relationship, eating a meal with the king. We're no longer the meal. We're eating a meal. We're dining with Jesus. We're safe. That's what that means. We're safe. Meals in ancient culture were very intimate. You became guests. 
You became, we became guests at the table of the king. How? How did sheep become people? How did sheep become friends dining with God? It's because a friend of God chose to become a sheep. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became a lamb. He became the lamb of sacrifice so that we foolish sheep could become sons. That's our final destination. Our final destination is a table. It's around lunchtime. We get to dine as friends with the king. What do friends do? Friends talk regularly. That's prayer. Friends affirm and adore. That's called worship. Friends love and laugh and suffer and know one another and learn from one another. Can you imagine a friend that only comes to you for money? That's not a friend. You got to get beneath the surface with the shepherd that knows you to the core and still lays his life down for you, he says. Jesus Christ is saying, I am the good shepherd who became the lamb of sacrifice. That means that I'd rather lose anything than see my sheep die, to see my sheep devoured, even if it means it's going to come at the cost of my life. That's amazing. Look at the love of Jesus. Look at the sacrifice of Jesus. Look at the beauty of Jesus. The beauty of Jesus because he's a sacrificial shepherd. The beauty of Jesus because he's a loving shepherd. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. You see that? You would only die for the things that you love the most. We have parents who are willing to suffer in the place of their children. Where do you think that comes from? Where do you think, what design do you think, what, how are we built this way? Because evolution says you let the weak die. Evolution says you got to let, let the weaker thing die. But sometimes when you see your child suffering and weaker, you would get anything to take their place. Why? Where does that come from? We are made in the image of God. And here, God is a sacrificial God. God is a loving God. Jesus Christ says, if you will die for anything that you treasure, for the things that you treasure the most, that means what? That means we are his treasure. To be his sheep means we are his treasure. You gotta take this in. He owns everything. Jesus Christ is the sustainer and the governor of the universe. That means every planet, every star, all the gold in the universe, all the treasure in the world is his. But he says, I've chosen then to bind my worth in you. I've chosen to bind my heart into your heart and to die for you because that's gonna risk loss and pain and suffering and death. And he died. And Isaiah 53 shows what he was thinking on the cross. You ever think about what Jesus was thinking on the cross? Isaiah 53 gives us a glimpse of what he was thinking. He was oppressed and afflicted, but he did not open his mouth, and he was led like a lamb to slaughter. So on the cross, Jesus quotes Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is these roaring lions, he's actually quoting from Psalm 22, these roaring lions are opening their mouths. Dogs have surrounded me. They've pierced my hands and feet. In other words, I'm about to be devoured. They smell blood. And when he was on the cross, he was surrounded by these people who just wanted him dead. They were jeering at him. They were throwing things at him. They were spitting on him. They were mocking him. They surrounded him like wolves. But he is the shepherd. He did this in the place of his sheep. 
He was dying for his lambs. And on the cross, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's saying, I'm helpless, I'm vulnerable, I'm defenseless like sheep. And I have no shepherd. My God, my God has abandoned me. My shepherd has abandoned me. I have no shepherd. I am alone. I am left for dead. I am not known. The door has been closed to me. The access to God has been removed from me. There is no more way in for me. That's what he's saying. I'm not known. That means I've lost my worth. I've lost my status. I've lost my significance. I've lost my name. The Father has left me. Jesus died utterly and totally alone. And that gate was closed to him because he lost his relationship with the Father in that moment. His owner, my shepherd has abandoned me. He does not know my name. And because he was the lamb that was slain, he can be a good shepherd for us. We can trust him. That's how we know. Every time you look at the cross, that's how you know that Jesus is present. We were blessed because he was cursed for us. We have a name. We are sons because Jesus Christ lost his name. He was disowned by God on the cross. We have provision because Jesus Christ was emptied for us. Your toilet paper that you're storing up is not going to save you. All that food that you're buying at Costco is not going to save you. It's going to run out. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I will take care of you. You're mine. Nothing can snatch my people from my hand, he says. We are known because he was abandoned on the cross for us. That gate so that we could be reconciled to the Father, so that we could have intimacy with our Father. Christianity is the only faith. You know, the Muslim Faith has 400 names for God. Not one of them refer to God as Father. And yet we get to pray. Jesus teaches us from the start to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. We are known because Jesus Christ was forsaken. That gate was open to us because it was closed and Jesus was crucified outside of the city gates. People always say that, you know, Christianity makes them feel bad because they can't live up to its rules and its morals. But in actuality, if you read this text, Jesus' own words, if you read his own words, what he's claiming to be here, there's no greater treatise, there's no stronger statement that can be made, there's no greater proof of a value of the human person than the cross of Christ. There's no greater statement that can be made about human dignity and value than Jesus Christ, God himself, being crucified on the cross for his people. You want to talk about worth? There's your worth. You want to talk about validation? There's your validation. You see that? There's no greater affirmation of a person's worth than to hear Jesus say, I know you to the core, and I've laid my life down in your place. If you are willing to sacrifice your son and you actually lose your son. Jesus would rather lose his own life. That means he is so attracted, so tied to his people that he bound his heart. It it hurt him more to see us dying than him dying. Do you see that? Wow, that's an amazing thing. If you're not willing to see then how stupid and foolish we as sheep can be, how stupid we are, you will never be able to know how treasured you are 
in Jesus. What will you do? Are you going to keep working, keep pushing, keep putting up walls to protect yourself and preserve yourself, to prove yourself? You're going to keep fighting to make a name for yourself? You're going to keep gossiping to put down other people's names so your name feels higher? You're going to be desperate for every inch of your self-worth, and then you get there, you sometimes feel like you got there, and then you're alone, and you never know where you still stand, especially when you fail, or are you going to enter in to the courts with praise, enter into the gates of God with thanksgiving. You're going to enter into the gate of the good shepherd who knows you and calls you and loves you by name. Will you do that? In this crazy time, will you do that? Let's pray together.